Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Falcon, Samurai, Apache Chief. Together they form the world's greatest force of good ever assembled, dedicated to truth, peace, and justice for all mankind. These are the Man the of Hey everybody, welcome to episode 131 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to move into a new season of Super Friends. That's right, I am moving into the 1981 shorts. I will be discussing the uh, episodes of uh, Super Friends shorts that aired during the fall 1981 season. And you're going, we're going to find that the format from last season has not changed. I will continue to talk about three episodes in that ran in a half hour format, each of about seven minutes in length. And this will go on for the next three Man of Screen podcast episodes as uh, there were only six weeks during this season due to a writer's strike. And as usual, these uh, episodes aired in on the ABC network. Basically what happened in 1981, viewers were treated to three new episodes weekly and the rerun from one of the previous six years. These adventures continue to feature appearances by the core group of five classic super friends, Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, along with the uh, Wonder Twins, Zan, Jaina, and their pet monkey, Gleek, who we should all be sufficiently tired of, of hearing about by now. There were also random guest appearances from members previously depicted in the Challenge of the Super Friends. Once in a while, a DC villain will show up. I think the only DC villain we're going to hear from in this episode is Mr. Mixies Pitalik, the uh, Superman villain who, ironically, does not come up against Superman in, in any uh, way, shape, form, or fashion. But for the most part, the heroes will continue to deal with non-comic book villains and threats. Like I mentioned before, the 1981 season was shorter than the 1980 season due to an animated writer's strike. It was reduced down to a 30-minute show only consisting of the new shorts and eventually merging in with reruns from the past. Eventually, the uh, writer's strike cleared up and suddenly the Super Friends had some animated superhero competition on Saturday mornings due to reruns of uh, Thundar the Barbarian were on the ABC lineup. That year, and NBC had three superhero hits. Hanna-Barbera featured Space Stars, which I know nothing about. Filmation presented the Kid Superpower Hour with Shazam. Also, there was some competition came along with a three-season show by Marvel and Sunball Productions called Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. A lot of you know about that one. And over at CBS, Filmation presented the Tarzan Lone Ranger Zorro Adventure Hour and the fantasy-themed cartoon series Black Star. So, lots of superhero fare on Saturday mornings in the fall of 1981. Also, uh... In addition to the five core Super Friends, we got some pr- Black Vulcan, Samurai, and Apache Chief were promoted to starring status, whatever that means. They don't appear in every episode. I'm going to go forward and say not everybody appears, just like the last season, not everybody appears in every episode, which is impossible to do with seven-minute stories. Another aspect of the season that I'm not going to be discussing on the show, as they're not in the uh, DC Universe uh app where i'm watching the episodes there were safety tips as well as crafts that were made this time being hosted by black vulcan samurai apache chief and the wonder twins as well as the original five with the exception of mixias pitalik or as this show calls him mixelplik with the exception of uh mixel mixias pitalik strikes again these episodes have been edited and aired as part of the 90 syndicated superman batman adventures package the series featured edited episodes of various seasons of the super friends as well as the 1983 lost episodes which we are going to uh discuss on the other side of my superman 3 coverage and i'll get get into uh, more about what makes the 1983 season lost when i get to uh, that episode so as far as the cast goes most of it is uh, returning actors the narrator is once again william woodson super friends cast includes danny dark as superman olin Sewell as batman casey Kasem as robin 
William Calloway as Aquaman, Shannon Farnan as Wonder Woman. As far as the junior super friends go, Louise Williamson as Jaina, Michael Bell voiced both Zan and Gleek. Additional heroes, uh, Jack Angel was a voice samurai, Michael Rye voiced Green Lantern and Apache Chief, Buster Jones voiced Black Vulcan, The Atom was in two episodes was voiced by Wally Burr, and we got the uh, first appearance of El Dorado, who was voiced by Fernando Escondone in two episodes, one of which I'll be discussing in this week's episode, Alien Mummy. Mr. Mixies Pitalik was voiced by Frank Welker. Bizarro was voiced by Bill Calloway, and that pretty much rounds out the cast of Super Friends for the 1981 season. Before I move on into episode coverage, I have feedback to address from Dave Beckelvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 120, in which I discussed my viewing of Superman the movie in the theater uh, with uh, my daughter Haley, as far as the uh, Fathom events uh, showing back in December. I was really hoping for the 30th anniversary of Batman that Haley and I would be able to go. However... We were unable to attend as the showing was on her birthday, and her party was that day. I uh, don't think she would have been very uh, up for the idea of me skipping her birthday for uh, a movie I have already seen in theaters. I saw Batman way back in 1989 and remember it fondly. Perhaps there'll be an extra on uh, Batman 89. I haven't decided yet, but I definitely think that anniversary is worthy, so possibly look for that. I guess you probably should look for it now that I've announced it. Anyway, Dave writes, Greetings Mike and Haley. As one of those oldsters who saw Superman the movie at a theater in its original release, I am so glad that you got a chance to see it in a theater among other fans, and especially with your daughter. I think Seven is a very good age for for a first time viewing of this movie, because she's old enough to understand the overall plot and young enough to engage in the wonder the movie evokes. I'm glad you got the chance to see it through her eyes in some way, and I really liked hearing you talk with Haley before and after the movie. You mentioned that the theater was about a third filled. I have to tell you, when I went to see the Fathom event on the Tuesday afternoon after Thanksgiving, I personally was 50% of the audience, meaning there was one other person in the audience, which surprised me. But I guess that's because it was the middle of a weekday. Don't worry about about possibly having a longer hiatus than you'd originally planned. Life has a way of overwriting your plans. Your audience will be here for whenever you release new episodes. Obviously, your personal life, especially taking care of your daughters, is a higher priority right now. That's what Superman would want you to focus on first. Thanks for all you've done and for whatever you get to do in the future. Live long and prosper. Dave. So, as uh, usual, thank you, Dave, for writing in. You know, it's kind of funny reading uh, Dave's notes on uh, my hiatus. As uh, episode one twenty was the only episode of the show of the uh, Man of Screen proper podcast. There were about four extras during that time. That I actually, and if had I produced further episodes before December, this probably would have been an extra. But since it was after Superman the Movie Month and before I did any World's Greatest Super Friends coverage, I just kind of gave. Uh, the Fathom Events episode is uh, kind of an epilogue to Superman the Movie Month. And I hadn't produced any episodes since the last Superman the Movie episode, so it kind of fit right in. But it's kind of funny still hearing letters about my hiatus when uh, the hiatus is about eight weeks over now or something like that. I haven't actually done the math, but it's been two months since I've been back, at least as of this recording. So uh, I really don't have anything to add to Dave's uh, letter. And he is right that Seven is a perfect age for uh, first time viewing of the film and... Uh, she still talks about it once in a while, and here I am, I'm recording this on uh, a couple of days after having seen Shazam, and uh, she still talks about seeing, having seen Superman, and uh, I think Shazam had an equal impression on her, and uh, you probably heard that episode by now. But yeah, I had mentioned our viewing of uh, Superman the movie, as I recall, was about a third full. I don't, you know, not being part of the, I mean, I am, but I'm a little more knowledgeable of Fathom events than the average moviegoer, so, but uh up until recently, I wasn't really aware of Fathom Events, uh, you know, having special screenings of older films. So I always wonder how well these things are promoted. And uh, if anyone other than, you know, the comic book crowd 
or movie buffs really know about these things. And I went on a Monday night, you know, the last opportunity to go because, you know, life get, gets in the way, you know. As Ian Malcolm says, life finds a way. It also gets in the way. But uh, I don't know how the local Saturday show means. Maybe they did better being on a weekend. I don't know. But anyway, I got to see Superman, which which was really important. I would have liked to have seen Batman on the big screen again, but it didn't happen. So, oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> you know, well, I don't have anything else on Dave's letter, but I do have a uh, Facebook post here from uh, my friend Bob Fisher, who you heard on a guest with me a bunch of times on mostly on my Adventures of Superman coverage and a bunch of other things. He was on Superman the Movie Month, and I hope to have him back on the show soon. I still have to reach out to him about that, but that's neither here nor there. But Bob uh, posted on the episode posting is, I love that Haley cried when they shot the baby into space. She got it. The incredible sadness of giving up a child when you know that child will have a better chance at a better life. So sweet episode. Glad you both got to watch it on the big screen. Well, thank you, Bob, for writing that comment. And uh, I jokingly had some words about him being happy about my daughter crying, but <laughs> now it's just a joke between me and him. But yeah, you know, I mentioned on the episode too, Haley has tremendous empathy and she got it when uh, she was very... She was sad at all the right moments, and she happy and excited at all the right moments. So, yeah, that's about all I got to say about that. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back and I'll begin my coverage of Season 6 of Super Friends, the 1981 shorts. Hang around, folks. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. I won't let you down again. It's finally here. Coming to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. General? Would you care to step outside? It's Superman 2 Movie Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly are back to discuss 1980's Superman 2, five minutes at a time. Superman faces his toughest challenge when he squares off against Lex Luthor and three villains from the planet Krypton. Superman 2 Movie Minute. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Man, this is going to be good. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of September 26, 1981, and we're going to start with Outlaws of Orion, and all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A group of bounty hunters from the planet Orion capture the Super Friends in order to collect a reward. Holy injustice, I get the feeling we're in big trouble. I can't believe it, Batman. We're wanted dead or alive for crimes of justice throughout the galaxy. It seems our outlaw friends aren't so smart after all, Robin. They overlooked my Justice League emergency beeper. Wrong, Batman. You're the one who's not so smart. His emergency beeper will lead the others right into our trap. <laughs> the super friends must find some way to escape from them. I'm afraid you two won't be collecting your reward after all. But you will be collecting a nice long prison sentence of your very own. Now you know where we got our reputation. There's no one faster on the draw than the Super Friends. Yeah, that's a hell of a synopsis, don't you think? So, we've got what appears to be two bounty hunters with a Western theme, and one of them is shooting uh, at wanted posters of the Super Friends. So, you know, just so we know what they're planning to do. Meanwhile, Batman and Robin are chasing some kind of burglar who throws a crate at them. And you should see that mustache on this guy. Nice little handlebar mustache. He must wax it before he commits his uh, crimes. So they catch this guy and the bounty hunters show up thinking they caught Batman and Robin unawares, which they did. And they just kind of materialize out of thin air, almost like a Star Trek transporter. And here they are. And they're from Orion, which also has, uh, you know, obviously the constellation Orion and uh, 
Orion was a big uh, criminal syndicate on in the Star Trek franchise. I believe that started with the cage, I want to say. One of my Star Trek uh, buddies, can, if they're listening, can uh, correct me on that if they need to. So they're from Orion, and on their world, people who fight for justice go to jail. You know, because on a criminal world, of course you would. So Batman and Robin have some bracelets that ejects a rope and a firefight ensues. And saving Robin gets he and Batman caught, so... That's one down. And we learn that the bounty hunters are going after the super friends, you know, because they fight for the cause of justice. Batman thinks they've outsmarted the bounty hunters, but they allow them to leave their communicators so that they can use it to contact the rest of the super friends. Uh, apparently, these two guys are smarter than they look, as they actually want Batman and Robin to contact the rest of the super friends. So back at the Hall of Justice, the super friends are getting an alert. And that big bat symbol on the screen tells Wonder Woman that it's from Batman. And I don't know what we do without these big visual aids. A big bat signal should tell anybody that Batman's on the phone. And I must say, I don't know if it's me or me, if it's the fact that I haven't watched Super Friends in a while. But because I spent a lot of time with uh, Superman 2 between uh, the last Super Friends episode I watched and this one. But the animation looks a little stronger. The characters look more on model than they've been uh, than they've been before. Batman and Robin do it. Wonder Woman and Green Lantern don't look any different than they did from previous seasons. So, Wonder Woman and Green Lantern chase the bounty hunters. And to me, that there's no way that these space cowboys should be able to take on the super friends like this. You know, it just stretches credibility for me, but, you know, they do. And then Robin tells Green Lantern and Wonder Woman not to tell him that they were caught too. Yes, Robin, they're in the jail cell with you. That means they've been caught too, so them not telling you that they've been caught would do nobody any good. Just so you know. Sidekicks, what are you going to do? So they arrive on Orion, which looks like an old west town, complete with a steam engine. Choo-choo! And they're chained up by energy. Apparently, the, uh, the bounty hunters stopped at these four super friends. They had no interest in waiting for Superman and Aquaman, and uh, I guess even the Orion space bounty hunters have no use for the Wonder Twins and their space monkey, Gleek. I don't. They shouldn't either. And the super friends escape because Batman keeps a screwdriver in his boot, like James Bond here. The bat screwdriver in the heel of Batman's boot, because of course he does. This is still an extension of that era where if Batman needed a Tasmanian dwarf that could tap dance while playing the harmonica, he'd have one in his utility belt. But this was in his boot. He, he didn't have a utility belt at the moment. So maybe the tap dancing dwarf is in his boot this time. So Batman and Robin do get their utility belt, so now they can save themselves. It's kind of funny how the utility belts didn't help them before they got in this situation, but it's helping them now. Okay, so with the uh, heroes getting the drop on them, the bounty hunters try to escape. Now, I like seeing uh, Green Lantern create a new engine with his ring, and the Wonder Woman shows off her roping abilities. Now, Green Lantern will create some guns with his ring, and he talks about how fast they are on the draw. Ugh, just what I need, more cowboy jokes. So They catch the bounty hunters, they're captured, they're sent to the whatever the proper authorities for these things are, and that episode ends. Not a very good start to the sixth season. I'm going to warn you now, some of these episodes are not very strong. The the writers were writing like they were on strike, or about to go on strike. So let's move right along to the next episode in this segment, Three Wishes. And our Superman homepage synopsis is as follows. The Wonder Twins release a genie from a bottle and get three wishes to be full-fledged superheroes. <laughs> oh no, Zan! I knew you should have left that bottle alone! Do not fear, my little friends. I will not harm you. I am the genie of the galaxies, master of the moons, wizard of the worlds. I am your humble servant. Ask any three wishes, and they shall be yours. You see, Jaina, this is fun. I don't know, Zan. There's something too good about all this. Oh, stop worrying, Jaina. There's no harm in wishing. Um... 
I wish we were full-fledged superheroes, fighting monsters and dealing with disasters. Just as you have wished, so shall it be done. To be where they came from an Exor? That genius changed us back to normal. Yes, but you've done it again, Zan. You wished we were back where we came from, and that's just where we are, on our home planet of Exor. I think it's great. We haven't visited our relatives in years. And we may never see them again, ever. We're in the middle of Exor's desert of death. You mean the desert where nobody ever escapes? Alive? That's the one. Where Superman stops the genie and to make sure the whole situation never happened. This time, I'll make sure this bottle is no deposit, no return. Thanks for saving us, Superman. I hope you two have learned to be more careful around dangerous bottles. Don't worry, Superman. We've also learned to be more careful what we wish for. Say, wait a minute. We've still got one wish left. Forget it, Zan. You'll just get us into more trouble. I wish you never touched that bottle in the first place. Wow. That's the strangest looking bottle I've ever seen. There's a note on it. Hmm, maybe I'd better not touch it. Absolutely not, Sam. Something awful might happen. I doubt it, but why take the chance? I wish this episode didn't happen, even though it's better than the one before it. And it's nice to know that the Wonder Twins are playing around in the Justice League vault, and they are messing around with an item that says danger on it, because... Of course you would mess around with an item that says danger on it. So Gleek is there, and that's going to cause some trouble, of course, and they release a scary-looking green genie. He even has horns to make him look like a devil. And of course, like any genie, he's going to grant three wishes. And of course, Zan is blind to the trouble, and Jaina is a little more skeptical. You know, like with Wendy and Marvin and Wonder Dog way back in Season 1, the girl is a little more skeptical. So for the first wish, the twins, who suddenly have capes, are changed into full-fledged superheroes which basically means they're adults now. So they're no longer junior super friends. And the genie sends them to downtown Metropolis, where he's going to cause a disaster with a monster to attack. You know, that way the uh, the new uh, adults Wonder Twins can take care of that. So the antenna on the skyscraper turns into a robot. You know, here's our disaster on command. And the robot punches buildings and just kind of throws things around. Zan catches the building and makes a joke about how Superman couldn't do any better. Well, I don't know, Zan. Why don't you don't make that comment until you see what Superman can do in this situation. And they're both captured by the robot. So even as full-fledged heroes, the twins are caught and not delivering better results. So next, Zan wishes to be back where he came from. And they're back to normal and they were sent to Exor in the Desert of Death. I guess he should have been a little bit more careful about what he wishes for. That's a good lesson for anybody else. You know, for anybody out there. You know, sometimes, you know, if you wish anything or wish bad on somebody for whatever reason you know gotta be careful because sometimes these things do have a tendency to backfire on you with or without magic genie so so far zan is 0 for 2 with his wishes and they find themselves head to head with an exorian dragon shark because there's always an exorian dragon shark superman finds the open bottle and he finds them an exor you know he just kind of flies to exors if he's going to the movies so here jana becomes a desert whale and zan an ice net and they do something that doesn't accomplish a whole lot. I'm not sure what they were trying to accomplish. What is a desert whale? <sighs> well, I guess only Jaina knows. Fortunately, Superman shows up and throws the two dragons aside like yesterday's garbage. And then the genie throws some rocks at Superman and instead he twirls the genie around and puts them down the bottle and makes a joke about bottle deposits. You know, no deposit, no return, you know. You don't get your five cents back or whatever, however many cents you get back for a bottle in your state, if your state even offers that. So the twins are now learning about bottles and wishes and Zan points out that they only have one wish left, but this is pretty good dialogue and I missed it the first time around. And you heard it in the sound clip. Jaina says she wished he never touched the bottle in the first place. And then there's this weird transition and they're back in the vault. At first, it was kind of startling when we didn't get the initial stars transition, but then when I listened back to it, 
And what I realized is, back home they find a similar bottle and Zan doesn't touch it, showing us that all three wishes have been granted, as when given the opportunity to do it again, Zan doesn't touch the bottle. Which begs the question, have they learned their lesson? Or was it Jaina's wish that caused Zan to leave the bottle alone? I guess that's something you can decide. This was definitely a better episode than the first one, and we got to see some Superman, even if all he did was come in and uh, slay the dragon to put the genie back in the bottle, so... With that episode behind us, let's move right along to Scorpio. And our synopsis is as follows. Wonder Woman responds to a trouble alert, followed by Batman, Robin, and the Flash. They help save a research center scientist working on a growth serum to help produce food. That is what Scorpio is after. There is enough growth serum in that container to affect every insect on Earth. I'm trying to develop an antidote to return Scorpio and those insects to their original form. Holy elusive antidotes! I hope we can come up with something before Scorpio attacks again! Who's under, under attack by Scorpio, a half-human mutant and his giant insect army. Scorpio wants to spread the serum and make every insect a giant. If it had not been for you, super friends, Scorpio would now rule the world. Humans and insects have shared the world for millions of years, Doctor. There's no reason why it can't stay that way. Not a bad synopsis, actually, and not a bad episode either. You know, superheroes against giant bugs. I mean, if nothing else, this is the kind of premise that is perfect for a kid's cartoon. Kids love their heroes. They hate giant bugs. Wonder Woman is flying in her invisible jet over the desert, and the scientists call the super friends for help, and he's under attack by giant insects. Yay! So off go Batman and Robin along with the Flash, and it's nice to see that they don't animate all the superheroes when only a few go to help. If you remember back during the uh, all-new Super Friends hour, one of my biggest complaints about the trouble alert sequence is everybody would be in front of the view screen, and, and only three of them, or two for that matter, would kind of go off and uh, tackle the problem. So here is a giant praying mantis wrecking a radio antenna, and it knocks down up the plane. And Scorpio is responsible for all this, and he's basically a mutant scorpion, and he orders an attack on the humans above. So this scientist has been experimenting with growth formula. I'm pretty sure we've seen something like this before, and it didn't go well then either. The scientists never learn. Maybe the writers never learn. I mean, how many times, have we, and including in the next segment, how many times are we going to see a Mixius Pitalik makes a movie episode? So now we've learned that Scorpio has stolen some formula to create giant insects, and here comes Batman and Robin, who parachute down before the Flash, before the Flash shows up. How do Batman and Robin get anywhere before the Flash does? Jesus. So they try to gas Scorpio, who, like I mentioned, is a huge scorpion, but it has no effect, and he's going to show off with his claws that apparently Batman and Robin are vulnerable to a giant cricket. Flash kicks up some sand, and that takes care of the mantis, and Batman wraps up the cricket while Scorpio narrates his next move, because the, the main villain is always going to narrate his next move. It's the villain thing to do. Scorpio is after the growth serum, which... One water tank is enough to enlarge every insect on Earth. You would think it would take a little bit more growth serum than that, but this is what we're working with. Now we have a giant something, Web of Robin, and they say the bigger the scorpion, the less poison it is. I wonder if that applies to mutant scorpions as well. Robin manages to free himself with the bat solvent because there's always something in his belt. I'm going to just leave that there. That sounded a lot better on paper than it did when I said it. <laughs> Interesting note on the animation when he's wrapped up. He has no glove on his hand when the webbing dissolves, but once that webbing is gone, the glove is back. So just a fluke in the animation right there. So the scientist finishes the antidote and, and Scorpio is back after it as he doesn't want it used on his minions because if the antidote is used on his minions, he no longer has any minions. That's a problem if you're an evil villain. You need your minions. How would you accomplish your goals without minions? You wouldn't, would you? Now, my only question is, if the serum is airborne, wouldn't that enlarge everything and not just the insects? I mean, imagine this thing fell on people. 
You have giant people running around too, along with the giant insects. Now, I mean, maybe there's something in it that affects only insects, but insects come in all different kinds of species. How are they limit this thing to just insects? This is the science that kids cartoon writers do not pay attention to. Maybe I'm paying too much attention to it. I don't know. But either way, Scorpio didn't think that through. But apparently, apparently the scientists did because it only affects the insects. And Batman gets the antidote and defeats the insects. The scientists thank the super friend. The Batman says that there's no reason humans and insects can't live in peace forever. Remember that the next time you whack a spider with your shoe. And then whack it again, just to be sure. Super friends against dangerous insects. There's nothing great about that, but nothing bad about that too. Just, you know, an okay episode. The super friends fighting the insect. That's all I ask for, I guess. As long as they win. All right, so that takes care of the first week of episodes. You know, kind of an uneven start to the... uh, season but you know you can't really do a whole lot with seven minutes so i'm gonna take another break play another promo then i'm gonna come back and cover week two of the season hang around folks i'm captain benjamin cisco welcome to deep space nine red alert all crew members report to battle stations red alert shields up what shields your start fleet officers now start acting like it oh it's just garrett plain simple garrett Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. It's much all to become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had original broadcast date of October 3rd, 1981. And we're going to start off with Mixias Pitalix Flick. And all of our synopses in this segment brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Batman and Robin take the Wonder Twins to a 3D movie. Mr. Mixias Pitalik, however, decides to pester the Super Friends by pulling them into the movie. Using his magic movie camera, he can make the Super Friends do or say anything he wants. Gleek, get over to the tape deck. That's it. The sound tape. We only have to make him say his name. Everybody, say his name. That's my name, Quick. And I'll never say it backwards again. Hit the red button, Gleek. You pushed him. Oh no, you fooled me. You ran a tape backwards. It's not fair. It's not fair. A stroke of genius, Batman. Now let's get out of this movie. We made it, Batman. Gleek, where's Gleek? So like I said in the uh, opening, Mixias Pitalik is harassing the Super Friends with a movie. Stop me if you've heard this before. Batman and Robin and the Wonder Twins are at a drive-in movie like the synopsis said, and it must be quite a sight seeing the Batmobile at a movie. At least until the caveman comes into the parking lot and starts throwing things around. Literally. It steps off the screen into the uh, audience full of cars, and now the Batmobile, which contains Batman, Robin, and the Wonder Twins, are in the movie. And I must say, it's quite odd seeing a drive-in movie theater. Uh, I don't even call it a theater, but a drive-in movie range or whatever you want to call it. There are a few still around, but not nearly as many as there were back when this was made. So here we go. They run into Mixius Pitalik in the movie. And at this point, it dawns on me 
that we're going to have a Mixie episode with no Superman, which seems wrong. He is a Superman villain, or at the very least, a Superman pestilence, but we're not going to get any Superman in this episode. Very strange. So Batman has a nice trick throwing his cape to stop Jane's fall, and Mixie spends a lot of time running his mouth, and we finally get our explanation. Apparently, Mixie Aspidalek wants to make a device to make the Super Friends do whatever he wants. Like I said, not unlike anything we've seen before. Now it looks like we've wandered into a Godzilla movie as it grabs the twins, and we have a spider and a nice catapult. Jaina wraps the monster up and then kind of just catapults it off the screen. Wonderful. So now Mixie is controlling how they change. Jaina is a turkey and Zan is an ice yo-yo, which is completely ineffective in this situation. Batman and Robin has, has nothing for, for Mixie Hospitalic as he uses his magic to make the Batarangs wrap them up instead. So nothing doing there either. And this is just so tiresome. It seems like when they use Mixie Hospitalic, the writers don't have anything better to do than have him mess with movies. This is the third time Mixie Hospitalic has appeared in this show. And the third time we're screwing around with a movie. Come on, guys. Something new. Something else. But we're not going to get that this time around, are we? But now they're looking for the Batmobile. And they melt an ice wall. And here comes a saber-toothed tiger. And here are the Wonder Twins who freed the tiger and take it away. They find the Batmobile. Because apparently somehow they were separated from it. I kind of lost track of what was going on during all the big ass piddling nonsense. But now there are some, here are some polar bears. And, uh... Now, Batman has a plan to make Mixius Pitalik say his name backwards. They're basically going to record it and play it backwards. Holy diabolical replays, Batman! Where are we? Yeah, what's going on? Mitzelplik not only pulled us into a 3D movie, he can control our actions with that instant replay device. I'm ready to go too, Gleek, but we're trapped. Unless we can make him say his name backwards and send him back to the fifth dimension, we're not going anywhere. Let's see where this tunnel leads. Apparently, playing the tape backwards is enough to send Mixie Spitalik back home. Gleek is accidentally, is accidentally left in the movie, which, you know what, to that I say good riddance. But I'm sure he'll be back, because he's he always comes back. But that's pretty much that. Overall, it seems wrong to have Mixie Spitalik in an episode without Superman, as he is a Superman villain. But you can't do anything about that 38 years after the thing was made, so... I wish they had done a different gimmick form, as there really is no limit to what you could do with Mixius Pitalik, so it's kind of silly to limit yourself with having Mixius Pitalik mess with the movies. So, with that being said, let's move right along to Sinkhole, and our synopsis is as follows. Diamond Jack uses a robotic cobra to convert coal into diamonds in seconds. The coal diggings cause a sinkhole in West Virginia, but Superman, Wonder Woman, and a local sheriff stop him and the cobra by destroying the remote control. Thanks a million, super friends. You saved our mining town and the power plant. All in a day's work, Sheriff. Glad to help. I'm always glad to short-circuit a ruthless crook like Diamond Jack. Alright, so now we're at a coal mining town in West Virginia and the earth is opening up and this sheriff's deputy is reporting a sinkhole to the Super Friends. Super Friends, this is Sheriff Baker of Dusty Ridge. We read you, Sheriff. Go ahead. We got a sinkhole situation here. The whole town's going under. Adam, it sounds like those old Dusty Ridge coal mines must be collapsing. You gotta help us, Super Friends. We may have miners trapped. Ah! Wait, Scott, Adam, a giant snake. We've got to get help to the sheriff fast, Adam. Wonder Woman's in the area. Wonder Woman, emergency in Sector 4, Dusty Ridge. I'm on my way, Superman. Good. 
Adam and I'll meet you there. No authority to deal with this, just the Super Friends. And uh, Superman immediately assumes it's the coal mine, and we learn that it's not the coal mine, but a giant snake. So Superman says Wonder Woman because she's closer, and I wonder what's faster, him or the jet, but we're not going to get an answer to that in this situation. Wonder Woman saves the sheriff from falling, but here is some guy in a cowboy hat, clearly controlling the big snake. <laughs> well, what do you know? It's Wonder Woman and the sheriff. Howdy, Sheriff. Nice of you to drop in. <laughs> Diamond Jack, so you're the one who's controlling this beast and causing the sinkhole. Why, Wonder Woman, how'd you ever guess? I see you've met my little toy, cold cobra. <laughs> it's no use, Wonder Woman. He's not only stronger than you, he's much more talented. Looky here. And Wonder Woman has uh, one trick for these things. It's her lasso, and it fails her as a snake grabs both her and the lasso. So the great Wonder Woman and her fine roping skills are easily captured. Wonder Woman knows who Diamond Jack is, and she discerns that he is behind everything. He calls the snake his toy cobra, and it's more talented and stronger than Wonder Woman. How a toy cobra can be talented, I don't know. I can see from its construction how it can be stronger, but not more talented. I mean, it's basically a robot that Jack controls at will. And apparently the snake can make diamonds in 10 seconds instead of the usual millions of years that it normally takes to compress coal into diamonds. For those of you who don't know, diamonds are basically, I believe, carbon that was subjected to the Earth's heat and pressure for millions upon millions of years to, to become the world's hardest substance. But Wonder Woman gets free and Jack runs away because that's what Jack does. So now Superman and the Atom show up. I forgot to mention the Atom was in this episode, but he's here and uh, the snake doesn't look happy. Uh... Superman goes after the snake, and Jack is worried about Wonder Woman and the Sheriff, but I don't think he realizes Superman is coming. Jack drops a diamond in the way, blocking their path, but Superman simply destroys that with his heat vision. You really don't have a... Even a diamond can't stand up to Superman's heat vision. So, just looking at the giant robot snake, and I'm wondering, is it really going to take both Superman and Wonder Woman to handle this? I mean, at the moment, Adam's not doing much other than talking and sitting on Wonder Woman's shoulder, but Superman and Wonder Woman flex their muscles by stopping the cave from collapsing, and, uh... At first, I thought we were going to get a fight between Superman and the snake, which would have really been cool. Hey, Superman fighting some kind of robotic creature never gets old. But nope, the Atom is going to make himself useful, and he's going to go inside the creature and short it out and uh, send it after Jack. Which, at first, I thought he was going to have the snake eat him, but uh, nope, not, not in a kid's cartoon. All it does is threaten him and get him to surrender, which I suppose is enough. He can't be traumatizing the kitties by having uh, a giant robotic snake eat his master. I guess there would be something wrong with that, but... That's that. That takes care of that episode. Let's move on and finish things off with the alien mummy. And uh, for our synopsis, when an alien mummy awakens intent on conquering the world, a group of archaeologists investigating an Aztec pyramid are endangered. Superman, Wonder Woman, and El Dorado must figure out some way of rescuing them and stopping the alien mummy. You cannot defeat the super friends. Surrender peacefully or be captured. Arrogant fool! I'll add you to my little gold collection. Muy bien, Superman. You did it. You destroyed the source of his power. El Dorado! And the mummy spell no longer controls your friends. I think our alien mummy's ready for the long voyage home. My hologram projections of his kinsmen will lead him to the flying saucer. Take it from there, Eldorado. And now for the send-off. 
my friends? Incredible. An ancient space traveler brought to life after all this time to conquer Earth. And hopefully now, he and his alien kinsmen will know that the Earth is well protected by the Super Friends. And this is our first look at El Dorado, who he is a Mexican superhero. He was created for the Super Friends, and this is his first appearance. Apparently, he was eventually folded into the uh, DC Comics universe during the uh, New 52. He appeared in uh, Suicide Squad Most Wanted, El Diablo, and Amanda Waller Number 5 from cover date of February 2017. I am pretty sure I read that. It must not have made much of an impression on me. But there it is, he's in the comics, and, uh... Hey everybody, Mike here, uh... Despite having read most of the Suicide Squad comics involved in the New 52, I have not read the book that features El Dorado. Thought I did, I, I didn't. So, back to the show. El Dorado was created by Hanna-Barbera, first appearing in the Super Friends cartoon, the episode that I'm going to be discuss- discussing right now. Uh, his uh, costume uh, evokes the Aztec kings of long ago, and he uses his mystical power to aid the Super Friends in their worldwide quest for justice. Some, spec- According to the DC Wiki, some speculate that he is the descendant of Aztec sorcerers empowered by their ancient magic and his people's warrior spirit. He has never revealed the source of his power, but his knowledge of the ancient ruins in Mexico suggests a... Uh, connection to the Aztecs. He can cast illusions, he has optic force blasts, and he speaks both English and Spanish fluently. I don't understand why that is considered a superpower, but it is. I guess if we can have super ventriloquism and super hypnosis, we can have multilingualism. He apparently also has the ability to use super strength, he can read minds, and he can teleport by uh, flapping his cape. I do like his large cape, I will say that. He uses it to great effect. So we're at the uh, ruins of the ancient Aztec village. He is on a field trip with some students and and some kind of orange spaceship lands in front of him. And here come some orange aliens. And the aliens are attacking the pyramid and El Dorado, who can make himself larger, shows up and they fly away. And apparently if he can, if he wraps his cape around himself, he can teleport. The aliens uh, woke up a mummy and then stranded him and it's pissed. And uh, because what happened is the aliens kind of ran away when El Dorado uh, started fighting back and they kind of marooned the mummy and... uh, you know, the mummy's not very happy about it, so he's going to start controlling everybody around him. And the mummy says the people are in his power, and uh, there's going to be a UFO sighting in Mexico, and uh, El Dorado's not answering, so Superman and Wonder Woman are on their way. Good on them. Their new friend is uh, not responding to their hails, and they're on their way to check out the situation and make sure everything's okay. And when they get there, they find that El Dorado and the others are enslaved. They're you know, under the thrall of uh, this mummy's power. So uh, Superman lands in front of the mummy and starts giving orders. And apparently the mummy's power has no effect on Superman, and it's strong enough to shrug off Wonder Woman's lasso, but it manages to turn Wonder Woman and Superman into bronze statues. So they're not having an easy time either. There's not really much of this story, and uh, this series gives Wonder Woman telepathic powers, and she uses it to wake up El Dorado, and all of a sudden he's fine. I haven't really read any Wonder Woman comics from this era. I mean, maybe one or two here and there, but... I don't remember Wonder Woman having a telepathic powers. That could be something that was created for this series, and I could be completely wrong, one of the two. I don't know if she really had telepathic powers like this during the Bronze Age. Again, if anybody wants to fill me in on that, you're welcome to do so, but I don't know. And again, I'll mention before that I really like the cape, act- the cape action from El Dorado. The wrapping and disappearing reminds me a lot of uh, Jaga from the Thundercats when he would uh, show up, and uh, which actually this kind of comes before Jaga and the Thundercats by about four years, but... uh. I have more vivid memories of Jaga and the Thundercats than I really do of El Dorado. And then El Dorado apparently creates a hologram beast and that scares the mummy and makes it mad. And he can controls this hologram with his eyes and his eyes go red and it 
controls his beast. Uh, so I guess that's one of his powers that works, his Optigai Blast, or whatever they're called. And now Eldorado's power did, did something to the mummy and freed the people from the mummy's spell. Now, whatever he did, it took away the mummy's power. So at least at first I thought it was Eldorado, but apparently Superman did it. And he used his heat vision while frozen as a gold statue and it took away the source of the mummy's power. With that, Superman throws the ship into space and they're gone. Like the rest, this episode was solidly mediocre. Not much there, just a fight with the mummy, and it's really no more than that. In seven minutes, it really can't be any more than that. But we are a third of the way through the 1981 season. So, next time, I'll discuss weeks three and four of the 1981 season. If you want to send feedback, it's always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.